0: No to necessary, we were permitted by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Blog Talk Radio.
0: And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, August 4th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I will take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860, or email me your questions at info at StuTheWineGuru.com, or you can go into my chat room here on the show page, and chat with other wine enthusiasts, or ask me any questions you like. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. If you want to know more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo! and The Examiner, so look for those as well. Look for my review of my guest wines, For the Examiner and Yahoo, also in my chat room, I put the link there. Or you can go to examiner.com and put in Stu the Wine Guru to find it there. I've also made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website, so check those out. You're listening to Stu the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. I uh, think you already knew that already, Roy. Right? Yeah. Cheers. Tonight, as always, when I have a guest, I will be changing the format because I want to dedicate the full hour to him. I am very happy to get the opportunity to talk with this incredible winemaker. As I've said many times before on this show, outside of the Burgundy region of France, the best Pinot Noirs come from Willamette Valley, Oregon. Simple reason? The climate and the terroir are almost identical. Tonight on my show, I have one of the premier in Willamette Valley. He's been making wine for over 20 years, and he's on tonight to talk about that region, his Pinot Noirs, and all his other wines as well. If you go to examiner.com and put in Stu the Wine Guru, you will find my review of his wines there, or you can go into the chat room here on my show page and find the link there as well. The name of the vineyard is Shehalem. And the name of the winemaker is Harry Peterson Nedry, and he will be on with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Harry and I at info at StuTheWineGuru.com. As always, I've opened up a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Harry and myself, and I will check into the chat room live periodically during the show to get answers for you. In a world where there are many wine experts and know-it-alls, there is only one Stu the Wine Guru, and he'll be right back. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers, so call me at one 381 4860 or email me at info at Stu or you can go into the chat room and voice your opinion. Let me make sure. First and foremost, before I bring on Harry, that everyone listening knows Harry's website and can go there for more information about his great wines. So, to learn more about Harry, go to www.chahalemwine.com. That's C H E H A L E M W I N E.com. And find out where you can buy his wines locally in your town or buy them directly from Chehalem Vineyards. That's the beauty of the Internet. So, without further wait, let's bring on my guest for the night. Harry Peterson, Medry.
1: Greetings. You there, Harry? Yes, I am.
0: Fantastic. The man, the myth, the legend. It's Harry. Uh,
1: I, I don't know about any of those people. I, uh, maybe you've got the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. No I, I, I,
0: I picked up on the wrong line. Hold on. <laughs> anyway, I'm very happy to have you. I want to first thank you uh, You know, for, for coming on to the show and uh, enlightening my audience to the incredible wine region that is uh, Oregon and Willamette Valley so first well thank you sh- for inviting
1: uh, inviting me I, I would correct one thing I would add an S to that the website address you gave people because you had it singular and it needs to be plural or else oh
0: a- absolutely so let me go over that again www.shehalemwines.com with an X. Yep. so everyone that uh, went to wine and didn't get there my apologies okay so you know, I have many questions for you, so I will get right to it. Great. First and foremost, what attracted you to winemaking in the first place? Because I know you started out with the goal of getting into what high-tech manufacturing.
1: Well, uh, my goal was never really high-tech manufacturing. It was uh, to uh, to get a degree early on uh, in chemistry, and then while I was doing that, uh, I liked English enough to where just as a sidelight, I got a second degree in English, uh, undergraduate, and uh, I've since then pretty much been schizophrenic, uh, going back and forth between right side of brain and left side of brain.
0: I know the feeling.
1: Like and so it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's definitely an interesting, uh, um, an interesting industry to be in that uh, satisfies both, uh, both hemispheres. I think.
0: Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. That's.
1: Uh, the, the the wine uh, the wine industry in general i I thought uh, was the perfect match uh, for me because I did have uh, uh, definitely scientific upbringing and uh, I think if anybody knows me knows me well, they know that uh, I don't mind the moniker of nerd thrown at me <laughs> i I think uh, I think science is a good thing and not something to be disparaged uh, at the same time, I think there's uh, there's always the hedonistic uh, side of things that needs to be appreciated uh, uh, in all of us, and, uh, and I think wine does that very well. Uh, it, you have to be very precise and very scientific in order to make it well and make it uh, predictably year after year, and that's one of the definitions of high quality. It's not just occasional, uh, lu- occasionally lucking into a great wine. It's being able to, to do it year after year, and that's where science comes in.
0: Absolutely. No, no, and you know, uh, that's the first time I've heard that explained that way, um, but um, very accurate, very accurate. Um, so yeah, so so I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, and I alluded to this, that outside of the Burgundy region of France, and it's my opinion, again, although I've heard a lot of people agree with me, it's my opinion that the next best place to get Pinot Noirs is from Willamette Valley because the terroir and the climate – tend to be very close, if not in some senses identical, to that region. Tell, me, tell my listeners who may never have been there to uh, Willamette Valley a bit about winemaking in Willamette Valley.
1: Um, it is indeed a cool climate. That is one of the things that makes uh, uh, some of the wines resemble wines from other cool regions, Pinot Noir here compared to Burgundy as you've done it. Um, it is a cool region, which means that uh, we don't really bake the heck out of things. We retain acidity uh, in fruit here, whether it's grapes or whether it's fantastic, strawberries, blueberries, uh, uh, blackberries, marionberries, raspberries, you, you name it. Uh, the, the cool area of Oregon here, the Willamette Valley, is, uh, is perfect for growing things. And if you choose the right hillsides, then not only can you grow things, but you can also extract uniqueness from specific regions. And that's, that's one of the things that the Burgundians, of, of course, do very well. They have uh, plots of land that uh, from uh, half a mile apart give you radically different wines. And it's the same thing here. We have hillsides here that we're just beginning to learn uh, but know enough about to where recently we divided the Willamette Valley, especially the northern part of the Willamette Valley, into about six different um, micro uh, regions uh, that then were designated as American viticultural areas because of their uniqueness. And each one of them, it, a lot of it is soil types, some of it is geography, some of it is uh, is how it relates to other, um, other parts of the geography around it. For example, there's one um, one thing called the Van Duzer Corridor, which basically opens up um, the Willamette Valley to a lot of uh, sea air and coolness from the Pacific Ocean. The Pacific Ocean is not a balmy, let's lie back in a lawn chair and bake. <laughs> so the Pacific Ocean is cold uh, in August. Yes, it is. You're out there, if you're out there in the water, you're in a wetsuit. Uh, right. And you're, you're walking the beach basically hand-in-hand hand with somebody, uh, mainly to keep warm, maybe, <laughs> maybe because you like them. But, uh, so, so so that's the region that we're in, and it's a cool right.
0: climate. Well, I was going to say to you, interestingly enough, um, I've been lucky enough to live on both coasts at one time, and uh, being an, a New Yorker, uh, as most have listened to no. know. I've mentioned about my, my uh, upbringing and all. The Atlantic Ocean is, is much warmer. Being down here on, in South Florida, of course, you know, you go into the water now and it's literally almost like a bath uh, mm-hmm. down here in South Florida. However, in my days of living in California back in the late 80s uh, and being in uh, the Pacific Ocean, it really struck me immediately the first time I went in during the summer. And thought, okay, why are all these people putting wetsuits on? I don't get this. You know, they're not even surfing, and they're going <laughs> in there. And, and and I and I kind of scratched my head, and I said, nah, you know, maybe they're just not, you know, they're not kind of, uh, I don't know. They, they they can't rough it, you know. Like <laughs> here I am in New York. I'm going to show these these people that they're uh, the, the hardy type that I am. And I walked in and quickly walked out. <laughs> and. <laughs> And they all looked at me and said, yeah, isn't that the typical New Yorker who thinks he knows, but he doesn't. So I, I definitely relate to the fact uh, as to the Pacific Coast and, and, the, and the water and the breezes and so forth. The thing I was going to say to you um, in, in, in going into that and, and mentioning about the uh, – things that are parallels between, you know, uh, the French and Burgundian regions. The thing that's interesting to me is that now the segmenting in Oregon of the different regions, is that something that's, um, you know, typical or new to that? Because I haven't heard that in other areas of, like, California. I don't hear that happening in Napa. So is this something that is indicative of, of, you know, of Oregon and Willamette?
1: Uh, not necessarily uh, the the division into viticultural areas is something that's done by the federal government and a, a lot of regions uh, take advantage of it to assign unique uh, uh, assign names and boundaries to unique areas and so you'll you'll find it definitely in in the wine regions in California, Russian River and the, the coastal counties and there'll be uh, three or four different uh, AVAs, say, on the coast and the
0: regions. I guess you kind of take it for granted when you see certain things, uh, you know, obviously on the label, that you don't kind of segment it or break it out that way in your own mind. You just assume that that, okay, well, that's, you take it for granted. You say, okay, that's what it is. Um, but now knowing what you're saying, it kind of makes sense because then it applies. That rule kind of applies. Right. Um, yeah,
1: and, and and it's pretty meaningful. Uh, I, I think... Uh, Paying attention, uh, your your listeners, if they pay attention to what's on labels, they'll see the viticultural areas, the AVAs, showing up there, and that should give them some guide to know what's inside the bottle, what sort of style it will be based on where it's grown.
0: Right. I have a question. Um, you know, I want my listeners to understand. You belong to a lot of societies. Uh, wine societies, per se, and associations within Oregon that are very, very uh, important to the viticulture. And I wanted you to maybe just touch upon that, if you would, a little bit so that they understand, you know, where you're coming from. And, of course, you have a lot of this knowledge base that supports it. So just if you would just touch upon that a little bit.
1: Uh, I am a nerd, and so (laughs) a lot of the things that we get involved in, we get involved in up to the hilt. And so uh, we have... uh, we have within Oregon uh, an interest not just in, say, Pinot Noir, uh, but an interest in other varieties, so in addition to doing things uh, like being very involved in uh, in Pinot Noir-based uh, issues here, like the or- Oregon uh, uh, Pinot Camp, which uh, is uh, is something that's done here every year, and the International Pinot Noir Celebration, which, again, is international in scope but is focused here in oregon uh, we also uh, get involved in varieties like riesling and chardonnay and we've we put together groups that that are basically users groups uh, uh, for uh, one of another name they basically uh, allow us to focus on what we do in vineyards what we do in the winery how we improve the breed of certain varieties so um, a lot of people may May not yet be aware, even though I think a, a lot of the people who are very seriously looking at wines from the Pacific Northwest will will know that we make magnificent Chardonnay here. It shouldn't be yes, a surprise, uh, except for the fact that there was a period of time when we didn't make great Chardonnay. It took us learning that we didn't have the right clones going to burgundy getting those and then allowing everything to gradually mature both our our knowledge of things and also the vineyards So that's the type of work that we do in both uh, say the chardonnay field Uh, we also have a similar group for riesling because again this is a cool climate this grows those varieties very well that require nuance uh, that, that that definitely are delicate varieties and uh, and don't like a lot of heat. They like to be gradually matured. And, uh, uh, and so these varieties I'm definitely involved in uh, as much as possible. I'm also on the Oregon Wine Board. I'm also on yeah. uh, Wine America, which is the national boor- board, uh, to watch out for what's happening uh, within the, the wine industry. So I, I probably... If you listen to anybody inside the winery, uh, I probably uh, look like I'm spending as much time as possible away from the winery, but uh, that's not the intent. It's to guarantee that uh, what we have in the future as an industry is very strong and doing as good as we possibly can in all uh, areas of our endeavors.
0: Yeah, and I was going to say we need more people like that because, you know, there's a lot of different things that are going on, as I've mentioned in past shows, in the industry, as far as uh, you know, on the distribution end uh, and the channels of distribution to yep. get it to the consumer, that uh, are becoming stopgaps and hurdles. So uh, we need people that are advocates like yourself to continue to, you know, as as they say, fight the good fight, and uh, and you know, and get the you know get the word out there so people are informed. And information, as they say, is power. So. It's a beautiful thing when when you have someone out there who has the information and has the knowledge base uh, and can disseminate that information to the, the masses. So thank you. Hats off to you on that one.
1: Well, thanks for that. Oh no so, problem. Uh, one one thing I realize is that I didn't quite complete uh, the answer to you, to a question that you had before about uh, okay. uh, about the Willamette Valley and why we grow Pinot Noir. Well, I think we've alluded to the fact that it's a cool climate. But what makes it a cool climate is that even though the, the coast might be 60 degrees today, inside the Willamette Valley, which is only 50, 60 miles away, we're probably 82, 83 right now. Uh, and yet if you go another 100 miles to the east, it's probably 95 to 100 degrees there. And so what right. we have is a protected area that's uh, buffered by two ranges of mountains, the coast range. Of mountains and uh, the Cascade Range of mountains, and so we, what we have is a protected bowl area that keeps us from being too cool and too hot. And uh, See, now that's just, great. Just the right amount of uh, water, also. People get the idea that Oregon is uh, it alri- always rains here, and if you're here in January, in February, in March, you probably are pretty close to right. Uh, but during the growing season, it is not that way, and it's uh, very dry, uh, and yet, uh, uh, and yet, ends up being an ideal, uh, ideal area to grow grapes. Perfect, perfect length of season.
0: That's what I have to tell you again. I really appreciate that because a lot of times I have guests on from different regions, wine regions of the world, and there is an assumption which I don't ascribe to, that everyone knows about Willamette Valley, everyone knows about, you know, uh, Russian River, whoever it is that I have on, everyone knows about Jerez, uh, uh, Spain, and what I I like to do is just get an overview, and you did it very succinctly and very precisely, thank you, uh, of of the region, so people get a feel for why the wine, one, tastes the way it is, the composition, and, um, you know, why it is let's just say in this scenario, as, as I have always felt and, and said before, uh, why some of the varietals are better suited to that region than to other regions. So you really, th- thank you. I, I appreciate that answer and that coming right. back to it as well. Um, so here's what I've got as well. Um, what for you are the new varietals? And there's a lot out there that are, new, and I say new, you know, things that are not, have not been around or as popular or are first kind of, you know, breaking uh, breaking away from the norm. What are the new varietals of wine that excite you right now as a winemaker?
1: Uh, very good question, because uh, if, if there are people who follow Shehalem and follow me specifically, they know that I get bored real easily, <laughs> and uh, new things are required. Okay. Uh, the, uh, in, the, in the past, uh, a little bit of history is that in the past, uh, say, the year that I began my first vineyard, about 23% of everything that was made in Oregon uh, in the very small wine industry that we had then, uh, 23% was Riesling. Uh, today, right. it's 3 to 4%. Uh, ah. that, that, uh, that aside, uh, I think the most exciting variety for me, and I have to fight among my... Uh, Three or four uh, possibilities, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's Riesling. Riesling is a magnificent uh, white variety. It's the most ageable of the white varieties. It uh, is the most flexible from a food pairing standpoint, and uh, you can make it in several different styles. It also reflects the terroir, the the soils or the place or the site that it's grown on, just as well as some red varieties like Pinot Noir. Which is one sure. of the beauty subpoenas. So I would say Riesling is number one for me. Uh, that said, uh, the new Dijon clone Chardonnays that uh, we're growing here in the Willamette Valley, I am head over heels about, and I think we do a great job of those.
0: I uh, concur. By the way, well, I,
1: thank you. Having, thank sampled,
0: you. having sampled, having uh, <laughs> sampled, I and I, I hopefully you had a chance to read the review I wrote. Um, I,
1: I did, and I appreciate that. So oh,
0: good. Pleasure. No, no, because I have to tell you, um, you know, getting a chance to, I always feel it's very important. And this is the first time I'm actually saying this on the show um, because it's rare. It's a rarity. Uh, I've, I've, by the way, I posted in our, my chat room the review that I wrote for the Examiner and for Yahoo so people can go and click on the link and, re- and read the review. But what I wanted to say was um, a lot of times wines for me that I sample, and I review only lend themselves to drinking them by themselves, or conversely, they're only really good if you pair them up. And I have to tell you that you kind of transcended that, um, that uh, paradox, if you will, uh, in that yours work well with food, pair it, they pair well with food, and they're excellent by themselves. So what I do, my test is, and what I review is I always drink the wine first by itself, to really get everything out of it that, I, you know, that it offers. And then I see, I kind of do a test drive with food. And because sometimes, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes they fall short. But I have to tell you, and you saw the ones that I had recommended you eat it with and, and drink it with, I should say, yeah. drink with. And, and uh, the, the food that I had it with just really, really, both really uh, compensa- uh, complemented and accentuated each other. So it was a really nice blending and I just want to also tell you that, that, you know, that that's a nice thing. Uh, again, hats off to you and kudos to you because it's very rare that you find those combinations. And when you do, it's really nice. And that it's not just in one varietal where one varietal, you know, one grape is like really great and then the rest of them, you know, you kind of have to just go, all right, you just have to drink this by itself because you just can't pair it with food. So I just wanted to let you know that. And um,
1: Well, thanks. And, and I think the the, the wine region here is the one that should be taking the bow for that because I, I think a lot of what's uh, delightful on the palate uh, without food uh, is due to the freshness of the fruit um, and uh, the brightness of the acidity. What helps in the food pairing, in my opinion, is usually uh, understated uh, flavors and textures rather than uh, hit you over the head with a baseball bat sort of uh, uh, textures and flavors, and yes. acidity that helps, helps marry uh, foods, especially those that have fat or, um, or something that, that needs complementing. Uh, I think the acidity and the fresh fruit character from, from here are, are definitely what causes that.
0: I agree, and I also want to let you know what I liked most about the thread that I found throughout the, each one of the Rydals that I, that I sampled is a nice minerality, um, and not an overpowering minerality, but a nice minerality that really brought the terroir to me. Um, I want to let you know that I've had on a variety of different luminaries from the wine world, and there's only been a few that I can say, and I've said it on the show before. Uh, Randall Graham is one of them of Bonnie Dune. Um, and I think yourself in the varietals that, you, uh, that I tried that really matched the terroir, really brought out the terroir, from terroir to palate or terroir to taste. It's not an easy transition, and not many wine vineyards uh, have that ability to do that. Um, and when I say it, it's hard for some people to understand, but basically what I'm, I'm breaking out, you may understand what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is is really making that transition where you can actually the minerality is not overdone in the sense that it's so much earthiness to it. But what you do get is you get an understanding of the terroir and, as we yep. mentioned before, the freshness of the fruit that is uh, it's being crushed and it is being uh, used to produce the wine. So, again, it's a really nice thing to be able to find that and that it translates um, from the vineyard to the glass.
1: Good. I'm, I'm glad it does because... We, uh, it, it is something that we don't necessarily wake up at night worrying about, but it's something that definitely drives what we do. Uh, it's, it's the ability to, uh, uh, to reflect well terroir. And, and, and also there's certain features of wines that are very important, uh, the texture of the wine, uh, the acidity of the wine. Um, that, uh, that's critical, and it's easy to lose, and it's not that easy to gain. I'd, yes. I'd like to also mention one thing that, uh, that's important to realize, both about the region and about uh, a handful of us who are not just Pinot Noir uh, uh, addicts and, uh, and zealots, uh, but we are also white wine uh, aficionados. We love white wine as much as we love red wine. And I think there's a misunderstanding, especially as people grow into wine and learn more and more about it, uh, there's a general misunderstanding that they should be jettisoning white wines uh, in favor of red wines, that if you uh, are really uh, sharp about wine, then you're into red wine. No, I'm sorry, I I don't drink white wine. I'm too big for that now. (laughs) I, I, I think it's almost the opposite. Uh, I look to what I eat uh, at a table, go out to a restaurant, and about two-thirds of the courses are white wine courses. They aren't, uh, can you give me a Silver Oak uh, Cabernet, please? I'm now on my scallops. Uh, yes, right. uh, I, I think there needs to, there, uh, even though you shouldn't be uh, uh, trying to be too prescriptive as to what you should drink with, uh, with what foods, at the same time. There are white wine foods and there are red wine foods, and there are a few that are kind of in between that you can do either with. But white wine is, uh, is an important uh, set of wines for people to appreciate, and that's one of the reasons that uh, you probably noticed, uh, Stu, on our, our website, that about 60% of the wine that we do is white wine, and the rest yes. of it is Pinot Noir with a, a little bit of other red. But white no, wine great is point,
0: important. though. Great point, though. Very, very good point. And, and if you are a listener of my show, uh, what you will hear me say over and over again is that it comes down to this. Everyone's palate is completely different. There's no right or wrong in pairing food and wine. So if you like a red wine with uh, chicken or salmon, go for it. If you like, conversely, a white wine with a nice, big, juicy steak, go, for, go it. for it. There is no right or wrong. So I've always said that because the bottom line is, Good you know, you. No. yeah, because your, your palate different. And, you know, it's the journey of trying different wines. And I, I can't repeat it more in that you can go your whole life and never taste the same two wines twice. And that journey to get, to, you know, going through your life of trying different wines, yeah, um, that's the most important part of everything. It's not the, the wines that you try. It's that you are open to trying different things and not uh, ascribing to only one type of way. Yes, there are you know, great pairings. Uh, and certainly, I've said it before. I love a great cab, strong cab with a, a nice steak. Uh, I won't turn it away. But at the same token, I have had tried wines that um, traditionally would have been for uh would have, you know someone would have gone for a white with, with a pairing and I've tried reds and found them to be, you know, delightful, fantastic. So that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it.
1: Yeah, and and I agree too. I think we both can dig up times when we've had a great Riesling at the beginning of a meal and we've gone into a beef dish and said, Well, I'm just gonna stick with this and it ends up marrying well and you're right, the opposite also. Uh, yeah. I really love that Syrah. I'm going to have it with, uh, with my chicken or my halibut, and it works Absolutely.
0: Well. It's nice to, you know what it is? It's nice to challenge your palate. It's nice uh-huh. to change up and, you know, and give your palate, um, and it's, only, it's not really training because I've always said before, you're not training your palate. What you're doing is you're challenging your palate uh, on a regular basis. Because training means that, you know, it, it kind of goes along with some sort of regimen or some sort of order that you have to go by. And that goes back to the idea of ascribing to red wine with beef and white wine with chicken and so forth. I, don't, I think it's called I, – I look at it as challenging, constantly challenging. That's a good way to
1: view it. Yeah, yeah because just, you're asking your palate uh, to take this in, and then you've got to be perceptive enough to understand what your palate's saying, too, you you can't right. just say, okay, my palate can take anything. You you need to uh, respect your palate enough to say, well, the last time I tried this Petit with uh, with uh, with scallops, it didn't quite work, did it? And then there's not really a lot of reason to try that again. Right. Uh, it, uh, there's no reason not to try some other variety, though.
0: Sure. That's it. You know, and you know, you have the same meal and a different wine. That's basically it. Yep. So, another question for you. What is the new technology in winemaking that interests you, that you know, kind of piques your curiosity? Because we're in a, a day and age now. We're in the 21st century. Uh, there are wine apps galore. People are coming out with them left and right. You know, how to tell you basically, you know, they're short of having their hand come out of your iPhone and grab a bottle of wine for you, they're doing basically everything for you. So I wonder, and I, and I pose this to you. I have not posed this to anyone else on my show. Again, w- something you'll find about my show, Harry, is that I ask different questions of different winemakers. There's never oh. the same question asked. So I try to keep, it, you know, keep everybody on the toes and keep it interesting and provoking, thought-provoking. Um, short of people, like I said before, a wine app, reaching out and grabbing the bottle and saying, here, Harry, drink this wine. What, you know, I, I find personally right now it be, you kind of become lazy by having a wine app, and it 's not to say that there's no good wine apps out there, but i 'm just picking that as a particular technology right now because that's popular. Um, right. I, I like the idea of going into a store and whether it be online or whether it be actually physically in the store. I prefer going into the store uh, i, I don 't know about you, but I feel you know there's nothing wrong with ordering wine it, once you already have the knowledge about it already and then seeking it out um, but I like the, It's like kicking the tires. It's like you know, grabbing the bottle and reading about it and having it in your hand. And then maybe potentially, if you're in a wine store, that they're they're offering a sample of it, sampling it and trying it. So, um, you know, what technology do you foresee, or something that, that piques your interest or your you know your curiosity that, that's available or that's on the on the horizon? Anything?
1: Uh, Stu, that's a dangerous question to ask a winemaker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love danger. Uh, but,
1: uh, uh, I'll, I'll respond to your, your, uh, your point as you were describing it uh, uh, about going into wine stores and grabbing a bottle, looking at it. Uh, you know, no, uh, no matter how much you know, uh, I personally usually love to leave it up to uh, somebody who is a very good server, whether they're mm-hmm. in a restaurant or whether they're providing service in a wine shop. And I would okay. love to hear what they have to say and what their opinion is. And sure. if I if I ask a question, I'm having this tonight. Uh, what would be the best thing for me to have? Or what do you have special on your list that might uh, uh, be attractive to somebody who likes the following wines? I I love great service. I I personally think that the the only difference between very good restaurants and great restaurants ends up being the service you get. And uh, a great deal of that is wine service, too. And uh, okay. it holds also for wine shops. So uh, I, I definitely am uh, very much in support of uh, seeking out those people who are as expert as you and I are, but in their own field. Uh, okay. The, the, the wine techie stuff uh, is probably not the app for my iPhone. Uh, the wine techie stuff that I would get into and I could bore you silly and people would call up and rant and rave to you. <laughs> that uh, <they> have a <laughs> Dude, Why'd you have this guy it? on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. What is he talking about? But yeah. but there there are definitely some technologies that are interesting to winemakers that will uh, hopefully help us uh, adapt uh, to the challenges of the next 20, 30, 40, 60, 100 years. And some of those are, of course, global climate change. Uh, we have regions that are warmer than they used to be. Uh, we are right. right now benefiting in the Willamette Valley because we now have maybe one suspect vintage out of ten, whereas we used to have four or five like uh, 30 years ago. Yes. So it's, uh, this is something that has to be dealt with in certain ways. And some of the ways are, of course, using things like GPS and an understanding of the geological formations underneath and some of the technology that that we can seek out that gives us that information so we can choose the right places to grow the right grapes. Uh, It also gets into what do you do if you've got a hot year and you've got to get the fruit ripe. You have to endure sugars and, therefore, alcohols that are through the roof. Uh, How do you deal with that? And there are Mm -hmm. technologies to where... Without hurting the wine, you can remove the alcohol uh, and without, and also without, the, without the feeling like you're uh, hurting the product in the process.
0: Uh, okay. So
1: there, are technologies we could talk about there, and they've got great names that uh, nobody will ever remember. But uh, <laughs> so, okay. Those, no, but that's. Def-
0: that's a fair enough answer. No, definitely. Uh, no, I know I appreciate that. Okay, so I've got some, i tell you, some of the emails have f- kind of flown in here, and I've kind of, I've been, as we've been talking, believe it or not, I've been going through and shuffling through and deciding which oh, ones I'm going to. ask multitasker, you. Yeah. I am. I am. It's <laughs> incredible. My wife would tell you I'm not, but I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, first up is from Carl uh, um, Dry from Berlin, Germany. And it says, Hi, Stu. I'm enjoying very much listening to your show tonight. Harry, do you feel that screw caps are better alternative to corks? Thanks. Great show tonight, Stu. Auf Wiedersehen.
1: Um, I am passionate about that topic. Uh, natural cork, I would love to have uh, do better than it does. It has hurt uh, so many wines that I've made over the years uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, they uh, at uh, approximately I, I think uh, the numbers that I generated over a period of several years was 8% of the wines that we put under cork ended up having uh, TCA or one of its relatives so it's, uh, right. it's the, the offensive uh, things that we try to get away from uh, and uh, we've, we've done closure trials since 1993-94 uh, we have continued to look at different closures we right now are 100% screw cap we made that yep. change even for our long aged wines the 19 uh, 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 the, those uh, uh, let's see yeah. Uh, we, we looked at aging trials for reserve wines and single vineyard wines and uh, after a certain amount of aging, we felt we could extrapolate into the future enough to where we knew that, uh, that we were not going to hurt our long-aged uh, Chardonnay or Pinot Noirs uh, by going to screw caps. Were they different? They were slightly different. There was more uh, fruit retained. There was less oxidation. There was no TCA. Uh, there... For some people's palates, uh, and uh, there, there might be a little uh, less aging or slower aging uh, that right. happens, but that that all is, in my opinion, with the varieties that we make, a positive thing. So yeah, oh, I agree. That's the way percent. we want to go.
0: Absolutely. So I have a question now. I'm going to field from the uh, chat room from Kim who is, again, a regular to our show, and she says the following. Um, what, made, um, what made them decide to make a Gruner Veltliner? I had one at a tasting years ago, hard to find still, but loved it. was very crisp. Is, there, is yours crisp as well?
1: Uh, uh, that, that is a good follow-on to the question you asked about things that, uh, that we might be interested in. Uh, we definitely are continuing to push the envelope on different varieties that might work exceptionally well here, and one of them is Gruner Veltliner. And we have uh, released our second uh, vintage, uh, our second harvested vintage of Gruner, and uh, it is bright, it has great acidity, it has uh, typicity as far as the grape is concerned, so you get a little bit of a... White pepper and uh, some of the other characteristics uh, that people are used to in Austrian Grüner Veltliner.
0: I love those, by the way. Those are great, I, great wines.
1: I do too. I, I, I like, uh, I like those. Uh, I like that variety a lot.
0: Something a little different. You know what I mean? That yeah. it, it's not the ordinary wine that you find. Um, you know, it's not the. It's not like a, a Chardonnay that people are accustomed to. It's got a very different taste. Again, the acidity is nice on it. A crispness that's nice on it. And uh, it's another one that you can pair up with a lot of different types of food. So, um, yeah, that's a great question. And I'm glad you – thank you, Kim. appreciate that. Um, yeah, going one, back
1: one, one comment that can be made sure. uh, about that is that just, just by virtue of having a, a new variety that you're playing with doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be there. Uh, we, uh, we realize that uh, the quality in new varieties, especially as we're trying to introduce them to the public uh, in new varieties for us, say, here in the, on, on the West Coast, there are only four or five or six uh, gruners that are being made here at this point. So we have to make certain that the quality is as high as uh, the standards uh, in Austria, and so uh, you you can't attract the public to lackluster versions of uh,
0: To follow products. up on that question, Kim has a follow up to that, which is actually a very good question. Do you see it and I meant Grüner Veltliner, um, as a good blending grape and if so, what would you think would be a good variety to blend it with?
1: Uh, I, I personally don't I I see it by itself. Uh, okay. I I think in uh in Austria uh, they they do best as far as I'm concerned. The two white varieties, Riesling and Gruner Veltliner, are, are magnificent by themselves, and I don't remember seeing blends of that uh, very often.
0: If I Nor I. That's people. why I, I thought it was a good question because it, <laughs> not right. ever seeing that. I thought you know what it might you know maybe it is a good blending grape, and mm-hmm. you know no one's done it yet. You know, yep. but I guess yep. there's been trials. Okay. I guess there's been trials, right?
1: Well, I'll, I'll take the remnants of several bottles after we open them, and we'll start putting them together. <laughs> <laughs> see, Kim, what you started? Yes. Yeah, you never know. Kim. It'll be the Kim blend.
0: I was about to say, you'd have to give her some credit. So, I'll Kim, if you see something out there, and it's called the Kim blend from Chehalem, you'll know. Okay, so uh, I do have another question. Next one is from Sotto Voce 3 from Tuscany, Italy. And it says, Stu... You have a great show and a very interesting guest. My question for Harry is, did you ever think of making old world varietals in your vineyard? And it says, ciao, ciao, mille grazie, stew.
1: Uh, and, and I would imagine he's thinking old world varieties. Uh, uh, like Italian, varieties. like,
0: right, Zinfandel, old, old vine Zinfandel, or maybe Nebbiolo, things of that nature.
1: Uh, we definitely uh, consider some of the varieties that we make here definitely old world like riesling and uh, pinot noir and things like that but uh, i imagine he is thinking uh, less well known varieties from the old world sure. and uh, and we we are playing with varieties that again i think are pretty well known but uh, the there's there's some good tempranillo going uh, work going on here in oregon uh, there's uh, some good uh, Albarino work. Uh, there's uh, 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 one or two producers who are making Arnaise. Uh So there's always Absolutely. this investigation going on. And uh, for, for some of the listeners' uh, uh, information, Oregon, uh, definitely sev- uh, 75% or so of the grape growing and winemaking goes on inside the Willamette Valley. And it's a yes. relatively large valley, but there's Great winemaking going on in Southern Oregon, uh, which uh, is kind of in between California and Oregon in character. Uh, so Cabernets and Merlots, and also the Walla Walla Valley, which uh, most people identify with uh, Washington. Half of, uh, of the Walla Walla Valley is in Oregon, and so I was about to say that. They're great, uh, great wines that come out of there, also. Yes, they do.
0: Yes, they do, and, and people are, are, you know, are I think first coming around to some of the wines that come out of there. So, okay, so uh, I have another question here from the uh, email. Next one is from Nigel W50 from Manchester, England, and it says, "Cheers to you both. I've been listening to your show for a while now, Stu. Great guests, Harry. When you started your vineyard and you bottled your first vintage." Did it live up to your expectation? My mates and I listen to you every week. Thanks. That's a great question.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, and I, I think he knows what the answer is going to be. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, 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 think some, I think some of the best lines that I've ever had, uh, just like most people in whatever occupation they're in, they, they like to imagine themselves doing the best that uh, they possibly can and at least uh, equaling what uh, the best line that they've ever had. And uh, um, I, I would like to think that I've come close to that uh, over the years, but I definitely didn't do it right at first. And I think, I, think, uh, I think there's a certain wisdom to, uh, to age giving us not only better grapevines, uh, once they get older, but also better winemakers when they get older. So long as I was
0: matter. about to say, I thought that's what you meant initially. <laughs>
1: There's something to do about age. Like, oh yeah, when want, I got
0: older, I learned how to make wine better. My, you just when want to get one of
1: those uh, one of those old age jokes in there, don't you? Yeah, huh? exactly. Come on, bada bing. There you go. <laughs> that one
0: in there. Um, let's see what else we've got here. So now I'm going to just go back to some of the questions I had for you. So, what varietal do you sell most of? And I, you know, I, I think. Most of my listeners are going to assume Pinot Noir, but I, I think we might be surprised in finding that that might not be the case, or maybe, maybe I'm wrong.
1: Well, uh, it is Pinot Noir, but not by that much. I mean, we, we, uh, uh, if, 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 some, if you were to be asking which specific label would we sell the most of, then it would be a surprise. Because we our Pinot Noirs, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, we have up to eight different uh, bottlings of Pinot. Uh, right. And then we have two Chardonnays. And uh, one of the bottlings of Pinot is five to 6,000 cases. That's the one that's usually most available around the country and around the sure. world. Uh, and then uh, with Chardonnay... Uh, we have one that's called Enox, which is pretty much a standard for unoaked Chardonnay, uh, and Enox is uh, in the six to seven thousand uh, case range, and we would like to grow it to about eight or nine thousand cases. Sure. Uh, so. So uh, Chardonnay, the Enoch Chardonnay, as a specific brand, we make make and sell more of that than we do our three-vineyard Pinot Noir. But Pinot definitely is our our biggest seller.
0: Yeah, I kind of of figured that, but I I was ready for a surprise there, Harry, just in case.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: Okay, some more questions for you. Let's see. So, you know, off the subject for a second, so in addition to wine, what other passions or hobbies do you get involved with?
1: oh um I, I have a lot of different hobbies uh, having enough time to do them all is uh, a <laughs> real uh real challenge uh, i i uh, i have since i was about uh nine or ten i've painted and uh so i i do like uh um, like pen and ink drawing and acrylic painting and oil painting so
0: do you put um, them up on the website or do you uh, has anyone seen any of these?
1: Well, I don't know about anyone, but uh, uh, I I I don't exactly. Uh, it, it's it's the relaxation, and I'm pretty good, but I'm not great. So I'd, I'd rather be great before I let anybody see them.
0: Because uh, I was going to say, that would be great, you know, put something up there. I, I've always found it's funny. Everyone that I've talked to, inclusive of myself, and I talk to myself often, um, <laughs> is involved in some sort of left brain, right brain thing, you know, uh, artistic in the sense of like I'm a musician. I started out as a musician, you know, from when I was very very young, and I've played on and off um, with bands and things of that nature. But there always seems to be, you know, something with the arts and and performing and, and wine, the passion for wine. I found there seems to be a, a an ongoing thread with everyone I meet and touch upon in the wine industry, and it's a kind of a nice thing. And that's why I've noticed some of the the people in the wine industry. Um, Gravitate towards having some sort of music event or some sort of art event or both in the same, uh, you know, attached to or associated with their wine and vineyards. So it's a kind of a nice thing. It's a good blending to me, no pun intended, of uh, the, you know, both spectrums, end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a nice well, thing. I, I, own I, I think that's an amazing observation, and I, I think it would be interesting to kind of uh, prove it uh, as true as you and I think it is. Because I, well, I, I think it's a great industry. The people who, as you said, who are passionate about wine are usually passionate about something else yes. that takes intuition and takes the right side of the brain to, uh, to get stimulated. Uh, and so it is music, art. Um, um, it's, it's great. Uh, food. I'll
0: throw, out, I'll throw out one name, and okay. I think everybody immediately will understand and completely get it. Francis Ford Coppola. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: yeah you know, as soon as I say that, people go, oh, yeah, that's right. He has wine, but he's also, you know, producer of incredible films for the past, you know, 30, 40 years. So, you know, that's and right. so there seems to be that parallel. Just something, some, you know, just take it mull it around in your head for a while, everyone out there is listening. Um, so another question for you. So how do you feel about the advent of the Internet and the use of web marketing. You know, I mean it, it almost is a kind of a yeah, you know, a necessity in these days and people have to do this in order to be involved and get the word out. But I just wanted to get your your feeling on it. Again being a, you know, a self uh, uh described nerd as you and I I'm not mm-hmm. giving you that name or that title. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So what do you what do you see as, you know, uh benefits, uh you know, downfalls, pitfalls, uh, anything?
1: I- I'm, I'm not certain there are uh, downsides to it. Uh, I, I, think, I think the Internet is a fantastic means of communication and of reference. And uh, so long as people are, uh, are not fooling themselves or getting fooled, uh, I, I think it is easier to do everything, and including. Uh, getting uh, sideswiped by somebody who's uh, trying to do you ill. Uh, I, I think so long as we're all careful that way, I think uh, I think computers and the internet uh, are a great benefit. We okay. we use uh, we use internet and email marketing with uh, to communicate with all of our uh, database of uh, of close friends and. Uh, and the only thing that has proven a negative is, uh, and this is probably not a negative, is that we have to continue to do other things to uh, uh, to complement uh, email marketing, mainly because as other people get into it, then it becomes so um, so ordinary and people get 93 emails regarding wine if they've ever bought online. Uh, oh, sure. So so they throw away yours as well as the the junk ones, and so yes. that, that's the only thing. Very that true. To do, is uh, is now to investigate social media and keep in contact in other ways.
0: So that would be really the only pitfall. But in 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 the end, at the end of the day, as as we all say, I think it will even out, works out that you get you know yeah. you touch enough people uh, and make enough of an imprint with enough people that it's the law of averages. It all works out. Um, and,
1: and, and I think it also encourages us to keep keep going. Uh, you yes. just don't stop with a newspaper. You go on to another medium, and uh, you don't stop with the Internet. You go on to other media there, too.
0: True, true, true. So what wine region in the world is your favorite to travel to?
1: Ooh, good question, good
0: question. <laughs> um, I, I thought of it all by myself.
1: hey. <laughs> uh i i um i i love european wine markets uh of wine regions because they are really the standards for the great varieties that we grow at the present time and so uh, it's the somewhat staid um uh, france germany and uh mm-hmm. multiple regions in france and uh i i Feel bad in saying this, but I have never been to Austria, so that's actually my next travel uh, to to Austria. So it's the great varieties yes. that I grow that I like to go and see the motherland.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Okay, uh, another question. Uh, th- I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you something. I'm kind of gonna backtrack here. So, are there any Shehalem events coming up that you would like my listeners to come and be a part of? I want people to know about this. So if they're out in your part and neck of the woods, they can say, oh, you know what? I remember hearing Harry talk about this. So why don't you just give everybody kind of an update as what what's happening and what they can expect to, uh, you know, check out? Well,
1: uh, that, that's a good question because it does feed into the question you asked earlier about uh, what we do on the sidelines, and I mentioned art. Uh, we have done for about 15 years an art, a celebration of the arts, and so we have... Both music, we have uh, seven or eight different artists from the region and different media come in. We open up our cellars, and uh, because of the time of year in late August, uh, we're able to uh, condense things to where we have art galleries uh, inside the barrel rooms. And it ends up being both festive and also a good time to release new wines. So we have our art celebration coming up uh, in, the next, uh, in the next three weeks, uh, the weekend of the 22nd of August. Is, Excellent.
0: Uh, okay, so everyone, if you're traveling to Lamed Valley and you want a great art and music and wine experience, this is what you'll want to do. you want to go on to www.shehalemwines.com and check out Harry's Wines and info there. I'm sure they'll give you the update. We're coming yeah. to the close of the show. Ah, I'm going to have to have you on again. So That's the show for tonight. I want to thank everyone who listened in, who emailed and uh, asked questions from the chat room. I want to especially thank Harry Peterson Edry for coming on and telling us about his wines. As thank always, you if you have too. any questions about the there. show, you can call... At uh, you can email them to info at com. You can go to my website at, as well at com and click the link for all the wine articles and videos and listen to all the white, uh, archived wine talk shows. Um, Harry, thanks so much. You are a gentleman and a scholar. I really appreciate that, and I'm going to have to have you on again.
1: Well, thank you, Stu. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and we'll have to get together next time uh, I'm in Florida also.
0: That would be great. Love to have you.
1: Okay. Take care. Take
0: care. Have a great evening.
1: Thank
0: you. Okay. So, as I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink it up. Good night and good wine. In a word. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru.
1: Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Oh, a book club.